Good morning. You know, it's uh, I've heard it said several times by different pastors that as they're teaching through something, studying something, they find that that is a part of their life that God is convicting them on. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about prayer. You know, we went through, uh, did a three-part deal on the Lord's Prayer. And it really kind of hit me that I have a lot of room for improvement. And it hit me even more as I was studying for today. It is. It just amazes me that God, our Creator, our perfect and holy God, would use individuals such as myself and others, all of us that are broken individuals, to serve Him, to worship Him, and to bring Him praise. Because I'm not the person I would choose if I was Him. And so, as we as we go into this today, I pray that uh, I don't muddy the water. That uh, it's God's word that you hear, not mine, and that uh, God's point gets across and not mine. So let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord. I praise you, Father, that we have this time that we can come to you, we can gather corporately and worship you, that all across the world, Lord, in places people will meet on Sunday to, to worship you on the Lord's Day. Father, it's a privilege to be able to come before you, both to worship you and to hear from you, but to come before you with our, our petitions, Father. It's a privilege to be able to do this. Father, I also want to thank you, Lord, for bringing Pastor Jeff and his family back to us safely, Lord. I, I pray that they had a refreshing week. And Lord, it just uh, we've been very blessed by having them, and, and we thank you for bringing them back. So Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word, and that it would be your word that is heard. In Jesus' name, amen. So we spent the last couple of weeks here going through the Lord's Prayer. Um, kind of looking at it, breaking it down into its, into its steps, what it means. And we've talked about that, you know, that it's, it's not a mantra. It's not something that is a chant that we would use. And we see that a lot. We see a lot of people using it. I personally believe wrong. It's a pattern. It's a pattern for prayer. So we, we saw that. We talked about that. But do you, do, you, do you realize that we have the privilege at any time we want, we can come before our Father. We can bring Him our our petitions, our wants, our needs. We can lift up those that are around us that, that we God has put on our heart that we are praying for. We have the privilege of coming before Him and praising Him. That's a privilege. It's a privilege that was given to us by Christ. 
by Christ Jesus. By his suffering, his taking our sins, his going to the cross, his death and resurrection. And now he sits as our high priest in the throne room with God at his right hand. And it is because of that that you and I have this privilege that anytime we want, we can come before him. And I, I have to ask myself, do I recognize this as a privilege? Do I, or do I just kind of, oh yeah, I can pray. And sometimes I think that's the attitude I take, is that, eh, I'll pray when I get time. Yeah, it takes what? I, Jeff and I were talking this morning. What does it take? Two minutes to pray about something? You know? A couple minutes out of your life, 24-hour day? I'm driving to work. Why can't I be praying at that time? I'm sitting at my desk. Why can't I take a minute to pray? There's all kinds of times throughout our day that we have the opportunity to pray. We have the opportunity to come before our King. Till we do it. I'm guilty of not doing it. You know, it's a, uh, I'll pray in the morning, I'll pray at night, but are those, you know, what about the times in between? Because as we're going to see, God, Christ, has asked us, has told us that we're to be in a constant relationship with Him, a constant fellowship with Him. And if I'm not setting aside time to do such that do that. I'm not following up on my end on what I am supposed to be doing. And because Christ is there, sitting at the right hand of God, and He, in His suffering, has imparted upon us His righteousness, we have this unique part of that privilege of being able to come before the Father in Jesus' name. Well, what does that mean? We hear it all the time. Somebody prays and they say in Jesus' name, in Christ Jesus' name. You know, there's variations of how they say it. But at times I think people just throw that in there. They're, they're not grasping what that means to say in the name of Jesus I ask this or in the name of Jesus I come before you. It's not a it's not to be used as some kind of a secret code to get what you want. You know, but and I'm afraid people use it that way. Um, in fact, people it has been preached that way, unfortunately. There are churches out there that, you know, if you ask in the name of Jesus, you too can have a brand new Learjet. That's not what this is about. It's not what it means. They usually follow that up, by the way, with send me a cup, some of your money. That's not what this was meant to be. Remember, we go back to, we were talking about forgiveness last week. It is said to ask for forgiveness in the manner in which you forgive. Well, why would God do that? Part of the reason, the reason for that is God wants us thinking of other people when we come before Him, when we pray. 
This is not just a selfish moment. This is not just a time when I come before God and I lay out my wish list. I need to be thinking of my fellow brothers and sisters, those around me. And I need to be lifting them up in prayer. Um, Matthew, Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5.23 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So when I go before the Lord in prayer, I'm bringing that incense of the priests to the altar. I'm bringing that gift to the altar. I'm coming to my holy God and I am giving a petition. I am of one form or another, whether I'm asking something for myself or for someone else or whatnot. And again, this is emphasis on others. And God says, when you come to the altar, when you come before me and you remember that you have something, a division, a some kind of a strife or whatnot with a brother. Stop. Leave your petition at the altar, or leave your gift at the altar. Go back to your brother. Reconcile with him. And then come back. Again, why would he do that? It's to get us into that mindset of, this is not just about me. This is not just about Joe. When I come before God, when I come before Him, I am. I need to be thinking about my you, my brothers and my sisters that are around me. I need to be lifting up the saints, praying for the church, praying for those that I know. Maybe they're not believers yet. But I need to be praying for them. Philippians 2, 3-4 through says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So, when I come before God, it's not Joe wants a new boat, or Joe wants a new shotgun. You know, it's, hey, I've got a brother that is really struggling with something. And I want to lift that brother up to the Lord. Say, Father, can you meet him where he's at and help him through this and somehow show your glory in helping him? Because ultimately, we'll see, this is what this is about. This is about glorifying God. And when I come before God... Again, His righteousness has been imparted to me on the day that I believed. And so now, when I go before Him, my prayers are carried to the Father with the authority of Christ. Now think about that. Think about what that means when, I, when you come before God and you say, in Jesus' name, Help my brother, help my sister, grow the church. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. That that prayer goes to the Father 
It car- it's carried by the authority of Christ. And that's what it means when we go before the Father and we say in Jesus' name. Remember the prayers of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture. When Jesus prayed, he prayed for others. He prayed for his disciples. At one point he says, he prays for those that have believed and those that will believe. So those that haven't yet answered God's call. So if G, you know, Jesus prayed for himself as well. I mean, think about prior in, in the garden, prior to the crucifixion, God said, you know, Jesus said, if it's your will, take this cup. But then he turned around and he said, but your will be done. And so all of the prayers of Christ honored God. They were never self-seeking. They were never self-serving. They were always about others. And in doing so, they honored God. In John 14, 3, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to pray the will of God, then, is to be praying for the saints, praying for the church, praying that God's will, as it is done in heaven, is done here on earth. Might not be God's will that Joe gets a new boat or a new shotgun. That's okay. And I need to be okay with that. Because that's a selfish prayer. When you read Luke chapter 17, Jesus is uh, he's praying for the believers. This is where he's praying for the believers and those that will believe. And when you read through the whole chapter, the whole point of it is that Jesus is praying that God himself is glorified. That Jesus is glorified and in that, that, that God would glorify Jesus and that in that, Jesus would be, God would be glorified by that. And so the whole point of all of this is to glorify God. So if you ever wanted to know what the answer to life is, why you're here, that's it. It's to glorify God. Prayer is one of those ways that we can do this. It's an easy way to do this. It's a way that we overlook. It's something that I think there's not a person in this room couldn't spend time getting better at. I I know I can. Because I don't think there's any one of us in here that spends 24 hours a day in prayer. That would ultimately be, I guess, the best way of doing it. But, you know, I'm terrible about it. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul is telling us to be imitators of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Go back to Christ's prayers. Go back to Christ's actions. What did he do on earth? Everything Christ did was to glorify God and for the benefit of others. If I'm going to imitate Christ and be more like Christ, I need to do more to honor God and to care about others. Both of them I need a lot of work in. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd all say that, that I need to work on that. 
There is a quote by, I, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right, but Max Lakato. I don't know if I said that right. Quote by him, it says, you are never more like Jesus than when you pray for others. What did Jesus do? He prayed for others. He cared about others. So when I go before God, how much of my prayer is me praying for what Joe wants and how much of my prayer is praying for you? Somebody that I know that's struggling with something or I know you've got something coming up in your life. Uh, how many of us prayed for Jeff and Heather when they went on their road trip? You know, I got to admit, I thought about it, but I thought about it late. <laughs> you know, um, it should have been something that came automatic. It should have been, hey, I got a friend, my pastor, my brother is taking his family on a road trip. I need to take a minute and pray for him. I need to take a minute every day and pray for him. You know, do we think that way? It's, uh, I know Jeff's talked about a few times about, you know, tell the people that you would run into the grocery store that are like super good about this to the point of being embarrassing. You know, with those, hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, let's pray about that right here, right now. You know, like, oh, really? Should we be embarrassed by that? And should we be the ones that says, hey, let's pray about that right now? You know, it's, it's like going to a restaurant, praying for your meal. You know, at a restaurant, you're like, is anybody going to see this? You know, well, who cares? Who cares if somebody sees me pray? That's the way, that's the attitude we should have. And I don't do it so that everybody does see it because that's wrong as well. Hey, look at me. No, don't do that. The whole manner of what we're doing is ultimately to glorify God. And if I am unwilling to pray, I'm not glorifying Him. And if I'm doing it to draw attention to myself, I'm not glorifying Him. And if I'm not considering others, I'm not glorifying Him. So prayer is a privilege that we need to engage in as often as possible. But it's also a duty. We, it's, it's a duty for us to pray. It's a duty for us to come before God, recognize Him for His holiness and His greatness. It's a duty for me to come before Him, ask Him for my provisions. It's a duty for me to go before Him, ask for forgiveness as I forgive, because I need to be thinking about others as well. Hence, when we finish reading that last part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, and if you don't forgive, don't expect to be forgiven. As I pray and I ask God for things, whether I'm asking for it for somebody else or I'm asking for it to myself, there's kind of three answers I might get. I might get or four answers, I guess. There's the one that I want that says yes. But then there's wait. And there's no, and then there's silence. How well do we deal with wait, no, and silence? I'm kind of impatient. I, I have great ideas on how to fix things. You know, uh, God doesn't necessarily do it my way or when I want him to. 
I read a, uh, I, I don't remember this, this pastor's name. I was telling Jeff this morning. Read an article this morning about a pastor. And he spent two years in prison in Turkey. His one and only crime was he was a Christian and he was a pastor. And in this two-year period of time, it took two years for him to go to trial. The day he goes to trial, he's convicted. This conviction carried 35 years in prison. And then he got released the same day. And the, this interview that I was reading, they asked him, they said, in this time that you were in prison, did you feel God's presence? They said, no. They said that first year was brutal. He was broken physically and he was broken spiritually. And what kept him going was his wife. He was allowed to see his wife. And she would come and see him and she'd go, there's millions of people praying for you all around the world. He goes, but I couldn't feel it. It was a silent period. God wasn't revealing himself to him. What he learned later was there was you know, almost this phenomenon that happened that worldwide millions of people united to pray about one thing, him. So God used him, even though he didn't see it, he didn't feel it, God was using him to do something else. And so though he, he took that as being a time of silence that he didn't understand, he made a resolution during that that no matter what, he was going to follow God. He was not going to deviate from that. I don't know. If, I mean, could I do that? Could I have that faith? Do I have that faith in me? I, I hope I've never tried like that. I, you know, I don't want to have to answer that question. But I, I, I just thought, you know, what a, what a way to glorify God. Think of Paul, all the years that he was in prison, ultimately leading to his execution. And look at the books he wrote. Look at the prayers he prayed. You know, the whole time he's in prison, especially towards the end, he kind of knew he was going to die. How do I get that faith? Where does that faith come from? John 15, 7 through 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, to abide means to have a continuous, daily relationship with Christ. Not just when I want to, not, not I'll, come, I'll, I'll come talk to you when I get time. Because we've got time all throughout our day to talk to God. You don't have to sit there with your eyes closed. You can be driving down the road. That'd be bad if you closed your eyes and tried to drive. But you can pray. And I remember my dad telling me that when I was a kid, and I thought, really? And for some reason, it sounded weird <laughs> as a kid when he told me that. But it's true. I, today, I do that a lot. So how, how much time do we spend in the morning driving to work? And how much time do we spend driving home? That's redeemable time. That's time that we could spend in prayer. You know, that's easy. So... We got pray in the morning when I get up, 
pray at night when I go to bed. Now I've got two more times added in there when I'm driving to and from work. See, it's easy. You can, if you start thinking about it, you can start coming up with times when you can come before our Lord and you can pray. And it's this continued relationship with Christ that our faith starts to build. And as that faith builds, our prayers change. Our prayers become more glorifying to God. Our prayers become less self-centered. And they become more about Christ, more about God, more about His people. And that's where our prayers need to be. In uh, John 15, as he's, as that, where that verse is, you know, Jesus is t- giving the uh, example of the true vine and the branch. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, you are the branch. And when you think about that in the terms of agriculture, you know, that branch is getting its nutrients from that vine. So if I'm the branch and Christ is the vine, I'm getting my spiritual nutrients from Him. If I cut myself off from that, how am I being fed? And if I'm not being fed, how is my faith going to grow? And if my faith doesn't grow, how is my prayer life going to grow? It, it, it all plays together. It, it, it all, everything affects each part. The closer I am to Christ, the more apt I'm going to be to emulate Him. And Paul said, be like me and imitate Christ. Well, Paul had a pretty good prayer life. He prayed more than once a day. So if I'm going to imitate Christ, I need to be close to Him. I need to be at His feet. And the only place I can do that is to be in prayer. There's a lot of non-believers out there that like to tell you that, oh, they say they don't believe in God, but then they'll turn around and say, well, God doesn't answer prayer. Really? Think about that one. Well, it's kind of true if we break it down. We go back to the Lord's Prayer. He says, if you're not going to forgive, don't expect forgiveness. Well, how about if I'm not abiding in Him, should I expect Him to answer my prayers? And I I remember one, I think I've told you guys this before, having a pretty good little pity party for myself one time, and I'm on the phone talking with my dad, and I just, God won't answer prayer. I've prayed about this, and he ain't answering, and it's kind of, I was kind of mad, getting irritated, and he just kind of never said a word. He never said a word. And then finally he goes, well, he goes, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about living for him? You say you don't answer your prayers. Well, have you ever thought about living for him? It didn't hit me right away, but I started to chew on that. On what he said. And I realized, you know, he's right. If I'm not living for God, why would he answer my prayer? Why would God answer me if I am making it a conscious decision to live in rebellion against him? Why would he reward me for that? 
So sometimes when those prayers aren't answered and we're in a silent period, we also need to look inside. Why? Why is this happening? And ask God, hey, is there is there a sin in my life that I need to be made aware of that is preventing God from acting? And then I, he'll reveal it. If you pray that prayer, he'll reveal that to you. And then you repent and you turn it back to him. And you say, Father, forgive me. Show me how to let go of this. Show me how to change what I'm doing. And he'll do it. That's the great thing about it. Not only will he point it out to you, he'll forgive you. And then he'll lead you further. So we need to, you know, don't get frustrated. If you feel like prayers aren't being answered or you feel like the answer is no or wait, because you're going to get all those answers throughout your life. And a test of our heart condition when we pray is, how do we handle those answers? Yet yeah, the no's, the maybes, the waits, the silence. And looking at non-believers as well, here's another glorifying aspect of God. How many times does God actually answer the prayers of a non-believer, somebody that's living contrary to Him? A lot. That's the mercy of God. That is the, the nothing more merciful than a holy God that would answer the prayer of someone who's living in direct rebellion against him. But in doing so, God is doing that to try and lead that person back to him, to lead them to repentance. And so, don't hear me say that God never answers the prayers of somebody that's not saved. I'm not saying that. Because I can look back on my life, me and my wife, and I can see what times now that when I wasn't living for him, how he did care for us, how he provided for us, how he answered prayers that at the time I didn't even realize he answered. Until now when I look back. And since that moment, that conversation with my dad, and God has brought me back to him. It's amazing. You know, I can look back at the things I've prayed for, how my prayer life has changed, the things that I pray for, how I pray for those, and how I handle the no's and the waits and the silence. And I am an impatient person. I'll admit to that. You know, so it's a struggle and I have to pray about That's something else I have to pray about. God help me to, you know, to, to be okay with this. Be okay with your sovereign answer. Because the world does not run according to Joe. The world runs according to God. Proverbs 15.8, it says, The sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to Him. So again, going back to those persons or myself, when I'm living in rebellion against Him, if I'm in rebellion against Him and I come before Him and I come to the altar and I you know, my knees before the Lord, it's an abomination before Him. And that's why I need to, it's in my heart, I need to get my heart right. 
It's a heart check. Where am I at when I come before Christ? Come before God. How do I handle those answers? First John 4.15, he says, And this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears. Again, go back to that abiding in Him. If I'm in a constant relationship with Christ, and I am growing and being fed spiritually by Him on a continuous basis, I'm going to see the things that God does. I'm going to see what He does in my life. I'm going to see things even that He's doing in other people's lives. And those are the things that build our faith. That is, God uses those things to build us. If I'm not in that relationship, that faith don't build. But as that faith builds, I learn I can have a confidence that when I come before the Lord, that He's going to hear me. And He'll act. One way or another, He's going to act. Now, that's the part I have to be ready for. How is He going to act? Psalm 17, 6 says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. David knew, without a doubt, that when he went before God and he prayed, that God was going to hear him. And that God would act. How long did David run from Saul? Because I don't remember. How long did David run from Absalom? But he stayed in constant prayer with God. He didn't know what the final outcome was going to be. He didn't know how long he would be fleeing. But he knew God would deliver him. And so he prayed constantly. Do I have the faith to do that? Do I have the confidence to do that? That no matter what's going on, no matter how bad things either are or I think they are, do I have the confidence to continue to pray and trust God? James 1, 6-7 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So when you go before the Lord and you ask God for, and you put your petition before Him, you, have, you need to do it with the faith that God is going to answer your prayer. You also need to understand it may not be the answer you want. That happens. But you need to have the faith that God will answer that prayer. And the thing is, is that when God answers a prayer, maybe it's not the way you want Him to ask, or I mean to answer. It usually still works out for the best. And it usually works better than the great idea you had. This confidence means that as I pray... I'm not going to give up. I'm going to persist. I'm going to, as the Scripture says, persevere. Luke 18, think of the, of the widow. She goes before the, uh, depending on your version, judge, a ruler, a king. This widow goes before this ruler. And she's been wronged, and so she says, you know, she knows this ruler is going to make it right. So she keeps going to him. Over and over and over and over. Till finally he says, 
she's going to wear me down. And if I don't do what she wants, he goes, I don't care about uh, you know that what's going on. I have no preference, but I'm going to grant her what she wishes just because she continues to ask. Well, she knew that this person not only was going to hear her plea, but had the power to act, had the power to give her her petition. So she never gave up. She constantly says, Scripture says, continued going back. Now, do you think Christ told that story just because it sounded good? He told that story because that's what he wants us to do. Keep praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. If she didn't have the faith that this ruler could, could act, could, could grant her her petition, she probably would have given up fairly soon, moved on to something else, and as Scripture there said, like a wave tossed about by the wind. She had to just bounce from one thing to another. But she knew that he could answer that request that she had. And so she persisted. She stayed at it. Do we do that when we pray? Do we do that until God makes it obvious that the door has been closed? That God has given an answer? Because he'll do that too. And a great example of that is Paul when he says, you know, he prayed about this thorn in his side that Jesus would heal or God would heal him from that. And what did he say? He said, my grace is good enough for you. And he was left with whatever that affliction was that he had. And through scripture, we can see Paul was okay with that answer. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't. Oh, God, don't love me. He stayed persistent and he, and look at the things he did. And everything he did glorified God. There's a story I came across. It was in Ulster, Ireland in 1857. Four pastors who were concerned about the spiritual welfare of the area. And they decided that they were going to meet every Friday for a prayer meeting, just four of them, and pray. And it uh, goes on to talk about how they met in this little uh, schoolhouse uh, in the village of Kells, County Antrim. And they talked about how they each would bring pieces of peat with them so they could get a fire going and stay warm. And kind of a quote through that says, The peat warmed their bodies and the fire of God warmed their hearts as they prayed. The point is, is they, they, they were persistent in their prayer. And they prayed every Friday for two years about this county Ulster and the people in it and their spiritual welfare. And then two years later, revival took over at Ulster. And it changed the spiritual makeup of that area. Four men... James McCulkin, Jeremiah Manili, Robert Carlisle, and John Wallace. Four men being faithful in prayer set aside a time to meet every Friday once a week and pray about their brothers and sisters around them 
Two years later, God honored that. And during this time, John Wallace, he, uh, he wrote a poem. It was called, Prayer Moves the Hand That Moves the World. I'll read it to you because I kind of like it. It said, There is an eye that never sleeps beneath the wing of the night. There is an ear that never shuts when sink the beams of light. There is an arm that never tires when human strength gives way. There is a love that never fails when earthly loves decay. The eye is fixed on seraph throngs. The arm upholds the sky. The ear is filled with angel songs. That love is thrown on high. But there is a power which man can wield when mortal aid is vain. That eye, that arm, that love to reach, that listening ear to gain. That power is prayer which soars on high through Jesus to the throne. It moves the hand which moves the world to bring salvation down. This is pretty neat, you know. These four men stuck it out. I don't, you know, I didn't give me any insight to what happened during that two-year period of time. You know, did did they get to see anything starting to move? Did they, you know, were they getting frustrated? Were they? There was nothing to give me an idea of what happened there. But what it did tell me was four men persisted, and they were faithful to every week they met and they prayed with a common prayer. And what does Scripture tell us? It says, where two or more are gathered, there He is. And when two or more agree on something, God is there. He'll honor that. And this power that Paul, or this power that they're talking about in this poem of prayer is the same thing Paul is talking about in Ephesians as he talks about putting on the full armor of God. He says, put your helmet on. Put your breastplate on. Put your belt on and gird yourself. And the very last thing he says, he says, and pray persistently. Ephesians 6.18, he says, praying all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. All that armor was nothing without prayer. Prayer is probably the greatest thing that you and I have in that wardrobe. To keep us centered, to keep us safe, to keep us in the will of God. Prayer is one of the most important things that we could be exercising. This is a privilege that God gave us. And it's a duty. Psalms 18, 1 through 3, David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I love David's prayers. I love going through and reading those. It's just, he's a guy that I think we all can relate to. He's a guy that loved the Lord and made a lot of mistakes, you know? 
And I know I make a lot of mistakes, but I love the Lord. You know, that is the most important thing I can say. And when God is, I want to remind you of this pastor that was in Turkey. When God is silent and we don't even get the no answer, don't get frustrated. Don't stop praying. Ask yourself, what is God doing in this silence? What is God doing that I don't see? He's doing something. I promise you that because God is not an idle God. So I'm just because I don't see God's hand moving, I promise you it's moving somewhere, something. And there's going to be many times in our lives that God is using our circumstances for the benefit of others. And we'll never see it. We'll never know it. And it's a awesome thing to be able to see it and find out about it. But ultimately, prayer is that God is glorified. Even in the silence, even in frustration, even in non, you know, I don't understand God. You know, and you and pray, God, I don't understand. It is okay to tell God you don't understand. But ultimately, keep in mind God's glory. Everything we do is to praise God. And I'll end with James 5, 13 through 16. He says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Pray. Don't ever stop praying. And don't ever forget, it's not just a privilege, it is a duty. Pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for the world around you. Pray for Joe Biden. How do you like that? And I'm dead serious. Pray his eyes are opened. Pray God uses him. Our government, pray for him. Pray that God opens their eyes, changes their hearts, and uses them for his glory. What more would glorify God than if the United States of America turned itself around and went back to glorifying God? Pray. Pray about everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a mighty God, a God who does work, a God that does move, a God that does care about his creation, Lord. Father, we lift this church up to you. We lift its members. We lift the citizens of this county and the state and this country up to you, Lord. Pray, Father, that your will would be done amongst them all. And Father, those that are destined to hear your call, Lord, I pray that their eyes would be opened and their hearts opened, that they would answer that call. 
And Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name, amen.